Welcome to Spilling the Tea on Travel with your hosts, Nick Walton and Sean Dillard. In this podcast, we will explore travel with an international education focus, give practical advice to the University of South Alabama community, have discussions with industry experts, and discover new cultures all over a cup of tea from a different destination. So get your cups ready and enjoy the show. Thank you everyone for joining us for our second episode of Spilling the Tea on Travel. This episode, we are happy to call All About the Money. So we'll be diving into all things scholarships, putting a special focus on some nationally competitive scholarships. Um, But before we do in that, you know what we got to start with. We have to spill the tea. We have to spill the tea. (laughs) So... Uh, today, the first tea that we're going to be focusing on is actually not a tea. Um, we are going to be diving into Romania a little bit. Um, and now, the complete opposite of our last episode, you know, we focused on sweet tea and how how popular sweet tea is in the South. Mm-hmm. Tea is actually not popular in Romania. Interesting. So they're not spilling much tea in Romania? They are not spilling much tea <laughs> in Romania. No. Actually, um, Romania Romanians drink tea um, more for medicinal purposes if they mm-hmm. have a cold um, or something like that, but they don't really just meet and have a glass of tea or anything like that. That is so interesting. Yeah, they they like to spill milk or Romanian wine. Oh. Yeah, so they're, they're spilling something a little bit different. A but little it was, bit different. It was pretty interesting to hear about that. I was a little surprised. I, I assumed that it would have been popular there as well, but no. No, I mean, I guess you can't, you know, make assumptions, but... Uh, Location that we're also going to dive into today is Morocco, and tea is widely popular in Morocco. And there is a specific tea that um, you will find all over, which is the Moroccan mint tea. And so we actually, um, similar to our sweet tea, we're going to share a little recipe for you for Moroccan mint tea. Nice. So first, you're going to need some fresh mint leaves, some loose green tea, and some sugar. So this is another sweet tea. Um, Gunpowder green tea is the recommended loose tea that we've been seeing out there on the internet world. So that is the loose tea that people are recommending. And then what you're going to do, if you have a beautiful silver Moroccan teapot, (laughs) you're going to put your loose tea into this Moroccan teapot, but you can use anything that will sift tea as well but if you want to be fancy we're going to have our we're going to imagine our nice moroccan silver teapot and we're going to pour one cup of boiling water into it and swish that loose tea around a bit and then we're going to pour that tea into a glass and set it aside then we're going to fill our teapot with water and bring it to a boil take it off the fire and add some mint and add our sugar However much sugar you want is, you know, up to you, but this tea is typically served as a dessert, so it should probably be pretty sweet. Sweet. And so then really the magic with this tea comes in the way that you pour it. So you're going to pour the um, teapot into... um, into a number of glasses as high as you can to get this frothiness. And then you're going to do this multiple times. I've seen this done about six or t- 
times or so. And wow. then it's poured back into the teapot with that cup of tea that you set aside earlier, um, just to add more flavor and a little bit more strength to it. And then that's the tea that you're gonna serve and garnish with mint leaves. Interesting. That is a pretty lengthy process. It's very, it's very ritualistic, yes. I will say. But when, you know, definitely check out a YouTube video on this process if you haven't, because it, it is a really nice process to kind of witness and to see all the steps that are involved in just serving this Moroccan mint tea. Nice. So, Sean, why are we focusing on Romania and Morocco? Um, well, we actually, like you mentioned, we're talking all about the money and we are focusing on nationally competitive scholarships today. And we have a Fulbright um, scholar who is in Romania. Her name is Brie Ard. And we also have someone who received a nationally competitive scholarship called the Gilman, and that is Rebecca Culberson, and she did a virtual internship to Morocco. Very nice. So the Fulbright and the Gilman are nationally competitive scholarships. Yes, they are. So one thing that we do want to kind of highlight, you know, um, for studying abroad in general is there is money out there. There's money available. One of the factors f as a barrier for study abroad tends to be the cost. Um, and one way to kind of mitigate that barrier, ooh, fancy, ooh, okay. <laughs> is through scholarships. And if you go to the study abroad website, the University of South Alabama, we have a page dedicated to scholarships. Our office, the Office of International Education and Study Abroad, offers $100,000 annually. This is presidentially appointed monies. Wait, wait, wait. A hundred thousand dollars. One hundred K. Okay. Oh. So you're not going to get a hundred thousand dollars. Don't say that I told you that, but <laughs> you will get something to study abroad from the Office of International Education if you are on an approved study abroad program and it, it is credit bearing and you apply, you can get a few hundred of that 100,000 for sure. Wow, that is amazing. And yeah, you're right. I don't think a lot of students know about that. I don't think they do. So come on down and get be all about that money. So, um, but today we're really going to focus on nationally competitive scholarships. Now, these are big ticket scholarships where you need a number of maybe eyes on your application. We really want you to be competitive. These are the types of scholarships that even after you know you graduate, you're going to want to keep these things on your resume. And so that's what we're going to be talking about the, today. The Fulbright and the Gilman. Nice. Well, our first two guests are recipients of the Fulbright and the Gilman Scholarship. Um, first, we have Brie Ard. So Dr. Brie Ard is currently completing a Fulbright Fellowship at the University of Bucharest in Romania. At the conclusion of her grant, she will return to the University of South Alabama in her role as the Director of International Education. She also serves as a, full, a Fulbright Program Advisor and Fulbright Scho Scholar Liaison, assisting faculty, staff, and students in applying for Fulbright Awards, as well as providing support for other scholarships and grants related to global engagement. Dr. Ard holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in communication and a Master of Liberal Arts degree from Tulane University and a Doctorate of Philosophy and Instructional Design from the University of South Alabama. Now, we also have Rebecca Culberson. Rebecca Culberson is a 23-year-old from New Orleans. She's a recent graduate from the University of South Alabama, and she majored in international business and international studies. She studied abroad several times, including three semesters in South Korea and a remote internship in Morocco, which we'll hear about more in a minute, um, as a Gilman Scholarship recipient. She is currently completing a TEFL certification course with the goal of living abroad to teach English. She plans to get a master's degree in diplomacy and or humanitarian assistance. All right, y'all. Well, let's grab your cups and let's get started. 
Brie and Rebecca, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We are super excited to be talking with you guys. Um, so thank you for dedicating some time for us. So let's get right into it. Um, first, we just wanted both of you to give us an overview of your respective scholarships. And if you could include the different types of opportunities available for students, faculty, staff, etc. Um, Brie, we can start with you. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm here to talk about the Fulbright opportunities and Fulbright really is an umbrella that includes a ton of different scholarship opportunities and we could probably do an hour alone just on those so we won't <laughs> but um, what I think is important for this call is that there's two really main categories for Fulbright and that is the scholar side and the student side. And a scholar side, those are awards for someone who has a terminal degree in their field or is a qualified expert for some other reason. And those awards are typically mid to long short term opportunities um, where a scholar comes abroad and they conduct research or they teach classes. Um, and then on the student side, um, the student awards, there's actually three ways you can go abroad for a Fulbright, and that is one, you can study, um, you can go on a study grant for Fulbright where you are essentially completing a graduate program abroad that Fulbright funds. You can go as a research Research student where you're conducting some sort of research abroad. Often that is students doing dissertation work um, if they're in a PhD program, but it certainly doesn't have to be. And then the third opportunity is an English teaching assistant or an ETA, and that is the award that I'm on. And as an ETA, you teach in a classroom. Sometimes you are an assistant. Sometimes you are the sole teacher in a classroom. You can be in an elementary classroom all the way up to college. Occasionally, there's room for a research project on the side. It really depends on the award profile. Um, but in general, those are the major type of awards through Fulbright. And Rebecca, what about you? Thank you for having me on. The Benjamin A. Gilman Scholarship is for American students with financial need to study and or intern abroad in order to gain proficiency in languages, cultures, and skills that are both important to the student's academic and career development and also to our country to improve us economically and in terms of security. Um, students must receive a Pell Grant during the time of the program or during the time of the application to be eligible for the program. And the program that they're going on must be at least 21 days long and credit bearing. The award can be up to $5,000 with an additional $3,000 for students who choose to apply for the Critical Language Scholarship as well. It's very interesting. Um, so, Bree, I know you said you awarded the ETA scholarship. Um, could you, um, if you had the choice of which scholarship you applied for, um, could you maybe go into why you selected that or um, maybe just some more about what exactly you're doing on that scholarship? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said, there's a ton of different awards within the Fulbright umbrella. So, when I decided to apply, I 
thought about all of them <laughs> and started thinking about what was going to be the best fit for me. So in addition to these three types of ways that you can go abroad as a student through Fulbright, you can also um, go to a number of countries and every country has its own profile and its own criteria, eligibility, and what they're really looking for uniquely in an applicant. So for me, when I was going um, and trying to select which country to apply for, um, I knew that I had some criteria I had to meet. Um, one was there was no language requirement because that is not a skill that I possess. Um, two, I needed to make sure that the grant that I chose offered dependent support. And um, dependent support is where you can bring a dependent with you abroad. And the scholarship offers both financial assistance and immigration assistance. Um, typically, that's when a scholar or a student is bringing along a child or a spouse. In my case, I knew my partner Ryan was going to be coming with me. So that was critical for my choice. Um, and then after I had um, started looking at the countries that did offer dependent support, I started narrowing it down and seeing what award really fit me. Um, for Romania specifically, the awards offered not only a chance to teach at the college level, but also a chance to engage in a research project while you're here, which was really important to me. And also it, it emphasized international education. They were specifically looking for applicants that were interested in international education. And after I read the award, I thought, okay, well, this is me. <laughs> so um, you, you don't want to force yourself to fit an award. You want the award really to speak to you and to sound like you. And I felt for me, Romania did. And then the more I looked into Romania, the more I thought, wow, this country is really beautiful and looks really interesting and amazing. Um, and that's how I ended up selecting nice, that's it. Awesome um, now that I'm here, most days I spend um, preparing for my classes, teaching my classes, grading for my classes. Um, I try to get some um, intercultural exchange going with my students. So we've been able to meet up outside of class just to have a more conversational, casual way of getting to know each other. Um, and then in addition to that, um, my time outside of the classroom is really spent focusing on my research endeavors. Um, and it's great because this grant provides the opportunity um, for that. That sounds like a lot of hard work, but a lot of fun at the same time. Rebecca, could you um, talk a little bit about what program you chose and why? Well, I chose to do the Gilman Scholarship. I didn't do the Critical Language Scholarship, um, even though I was studying Arabic during the program. Um, I was kind of right on the deadline for the Gilman, so I didn't want to add that extra pressure for myself. But I did the Gilman. Um, and the great thing about the Gilman is that I didn't actually have to know exactly where I was going when I applied. Um, because of COVID, it was a really difficult situation. I was constantly having to change plans because with the Gilman, you're required to go to a country that has a level one or two travel advisory and maybe a level three with special permission. So I was constantly having to change which country I was going to, which program I was going to do. Um, so I applied for... Japan, even though I was trying to go to Thailand and ended up in Morocco. Well, not in Morocco because I ended up doing a remote program, but I worked with an organization in Morocco. So even though that was a little stressful, the Gilman 
um, staff were very helpful and very understanding. And they worked with me throughout the whole thing. Um, there wasn't much pressure to, you know, I have to have everything figured out perfectly in order to get the scholarship. Like they understand that plans change and, you know, these are uncertain times. So it was really great to be able to work with the Gilman and, you know, get it all figured out and end up having a really great experience. So in the end, I ended up doing a remote program with an organization in Morocco. Um, it was for a English news organization. And I, they took me on basically as a uh, social media marketing and management consultant, which was a little different from what I was expecting, but it was very fulfilling and I really enjoyed the work. And it ended up being something that, you know, I'm keeping as an option now that I'm graduated of something that I'd like to do awesome. career-wise. So I'd say it was a very rewarding That's experience. Awesome. That's great to hear. Um, so we wanted both of you to briefly go over the application process um, for your respective scholarship. What were um, the steps you took to apply? Um, what were some important documents that you needed to make sure you had? Um, and Rebecca, we'll let you start with this one. Okay, so I had to complete three essays for the Gelman Scholarship. One was a statement of purpose, basically saying who I am, what I want to do, how I'm going to get it, and how the scholarship is going to make that possible. Two was the Building Mutual Understandings Scholarship. It was basically how I plan to connect with the community in the place that I go to and how we're, I can facilitate a cultural exchange. Um, and three was the follow-up service project essay because whenever you receive a Gilman scholarship, you have to complete a follow-up service project upon completion of the program. Um, my follow-up service project is going to be making a YouTube channel and talking about study abroad and the Gilman scholarship and just helping other prospective study abroad students get through that process and get abroad. Um, so once you have those three essays complete, you have to send in a transcript. It can be unofficial or official. And then you have to just put in some information that they ask you and take a couple surveys or evaluations just so that they can see how your mindset changes before and after the program. And then once you're done with that, you just wait for it to get certified by your financial advisor and your study abroad advisor, and then you're good. Nice. And that's super exciting to hear about the YouTube nice. channel. Um, I'm sure that that will be beneficial to a lot of people. So that's awesome. Um, and Brie, how about what was the process like for your scholarship? Yeah, in many ways, it's very similar to what Rebecca described. Um, you need transcripts. You have to catalog all of your academic and work experience, um, any presentations you've done or previous grants that you've received. Um, you have to write two essays. Uh, they're each one page only. So you have to 
pour all of your hopes and dreams and ambitions for your grant into a mere two pages, which is sometimes more complicated to go less than more. Um, but one of the essays is this a personal statement. So getting to know you a little bit more. And then the second essay is a statement of grant purpose. So what do you hope to do with this grant? What does this grant mean to you? And then there are um, some short answer pieces about um, how do you plan to engage with the community when you're uh, abroad? What do you plan to do when you return? Um, and some different pieces like that. I would say that in general, the application process is, um, it, you, technically you can complete this quite quickly. It's, it's short when you think about a grant, right? It's only two pages ultimately, um, but it's a long process. Um, I actually applied for the Fulbright twice. The first time I did not receive it and the second time I did. Um, and both times I spent about five months on my applications. Um, so it's not an overnight, you know, you're brilliant, you get a grant. Um, it's work and it's revisions and it's drafts and it's finding friends and colleagues um, or my mom, in my case, to to read and reread your essay and tell you what you did well and what you could do better. So um, if I could say, if one word wraps up the, the application process, I would say it's revision. Um, so it, it doesn't need to be perfect on the first time, but you just do need to be dedicated and put in the time and the time and the time and the time um, to do it over and over again. So that was my experience. Nice. I like that, the word revision. So revisions, that's actually a really good segue into our next segment, because at the University of South Alabama, we actually have a number of people on campus who can help students with revisions for these types of essays, like the Fulbright and for the Gilman. Specifically, we have three advisors who are going to join us on this call now to give us some insights into their experience working with students. So um, thank you so much, Bree and Rebecca. We're going to transition now to our advisors. So on the call today, we have Angela Jordan. Angela Jordan is the Assistant Director of Research Development in the Central Office of Research and Economic Development at the University of South Alabama. She primarily serves faculty preparing proposals for external funding, and she has been working in the research and development field since 2013. During that time, she has worked on proposals funded by the National Science Foundation, the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Department of Education, and the Fulbright Program among others. So definitely a lot of experience there. So if you're a faculty member, um, Angela Jordan is definitely going to be able to support you. Um, Marsha Hamilton, Dr. Marsha Hamilton is an associate professor in history and has been advising students applying for interdisciplinary national scholarships since 2009. These include the Fulbright, the Truman, Udall, Rhodes, Marshall, Mitchell, Pickering, and Rangel and several other programs. There's another student advisor for national scholarships in the STEM fields, and that's Mr. David Forbes, um, who isn't on the call with us today, but he is also a resource for students at the University of South Alabama. And lastly, we have um, Jan Santos. So Jan graduated from South in 2016, majoring in foreign languages and literatures with a concentration in French. Jan says that studying abroad in Dijon, France was the highlight of her college career, and she loves learning about different cultures and languages. She is proficient in English, Tagalog, Tagalog, I might have said that incorrectly. Please let me know, Jan. Um, French, Italian, and some sand language. Now, Jan is an educational abroad advisor 
advisor in the Office of International Education and has extensive experience successfully advising students on the Gilman Scholarship. In her spare time, she enjoys drawing with charcoal. She's very, very good. Jamming to Disney songs and watching reruns of Friends. Thank you so much to our advisors for joining us for the show. So for this episode, as you know, we were talking all about the money and we've been focusing on the Gilman and the Fulbright. And as we just learned through your bios, each of you have experience within one of these areas. So um, we can go down the line and we can start with you, Jan. If you could just let us know, how long have you been advising for your respective scholarship? How long have you been involved with the Gilman? Yeah, thank you. And you pronounced Tagalog perfectly. So that was good. Thank you. And thanks for, for having m me as well. But I've been advising for the Gilman since spring, around spring, summer 2018. Um, I started in my role as, a, as an education abroad advisor in fall of 2017. So really that semester afterward, it was actually Bree who recommended that I serve on a panel for the Gilman uh, for um to be on the section committee. And uh, it was that following spring when I started. So since 20 Amazing. So not only have you advised, but you've read other essays like as a panelist? Yes, that is correct. Amazing. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, Marcia, how about you? How long have you been advising for your respective scholarships? Well, I've been uh, advising for all of the scholarships since 2009. That's when this uh, program that Dr. Forbes and I work with um, started up in the Honors College. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know you mentioned that this program is for, it's within the Honors College, but all University of South Alabama students, if they're eligible, can apply for these scholarships. Is that correct? Yes. It, it's an initiative, again, that was started in 2009 uh, to try to get more students to uh, apply for these national scholarships. Uh, so, so it was housed in the honors program, mostly just as a convenience, because my primary job is to teach history and Dr. Forbes is to teach chemistry. Um, so, so it was mostly, you know, just a convenience to house it in the honors college. And so um, even though it's there, all students throughout the university who are eligible for these scholarships um, can apply and should apply. Thank you so much. And Angela, this, um, how about you? How long have you been um, advising for your respective scholarships? And if you want to just, you know, um, recap what those scholarships were in case people might have forgotten. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, I, so I'm a point of contact for faculty at the university for the Fulbright U.S. Scholars Program. And um, I took over from um, our vice president, I think maybe a year or so ago, and as the point of contact role. Um, but as you mentioned, I have been working on uh, proposals for external funding for close to nine years now. And um, I think I read my first Fulbright application in 2018. Um, so I have a lot of experience um, in grant writing generally. Um, so I, I bring maybe that sort of broader perspective 
perspective. Awesome. Thank you so much. So we heard both Rebecca and Brie talk about um, the essays that they had to write, whether it was for the Gilman or for the Fulbright. Even though these essays weren't particularly long, I think the key word was revisions. Um, so when you're working with students, can you or faculty for that matter that are interested in doing maybe a, a Fulbright or a Gilman, can you give us a sense of the timelines? Like when should someone start, you know, thinking about applying for one of these um, opportunities? When should they meet with you if they are interested in one of these opportunities? Um, why don't we go ahead and start with, um, with Marsha for this question? In general, uh, we recommend that students start thinking about these at least nine months before the uh, scholarship deadline. We have generally for most of the scholarships, um, one, of course, all of their deadlines are different, um, but there's also some internal deadlines because for some of the scholarships, you have to go through a um, university panel. And so you really need to start talking to either me or Dr. Forbes, um, again, at least nine months uh, beforehand so you can understand what the process is like and, and what the internal deadlines might be. Thank you so much. Angela, how about you? Yeah, um, I agree with what Bree said. Um, you know, working with faculty, um, five months is kind of a reasonable lead time. Um, definitely a month's long planning process is is recommended. Uh, for faculty who would apply, the U.S. Scholars Program um, deadline last year was the mid middle of September, so they would want to start thinking about it the year the year prior, and you would probably do a lot of work on it over the summer before finalizing it for submission. Absolutely, thank you so much, Jan. Any recommendations for those interested in the Gilman Scholarship for students? For sure. Um, it's honestly never too early to start planning on how to fund these kinds of opportunities. Um, in particular for the Gilman, their application uh, cycle typically opens uh, about a month, month and a half before the deadline. And around that time, our office, we usually hold workshops that guide students on how to apply um, and assist them um, in providing the resources that they can utilize, us being one of them, to help them in those edits and those revisions and those drafts. Um, and so once those, once the application cycle opens, uh, we always advise the students to come visit us so that we can read those essays together and see if there are any areas that can be stronger um, to help them the, to help them have that leverage or that bit of a bump of an edge in their essays. Uh, and then deadlines would fall around either, there are two deadlines, either in October or March. And as Rebecca said, when the students submit their essays, they go for certification to their study abroad advisors and their financial aid advisors, after which there is a selection committee that reviews those essays um, and selects the eligible recipients. Thank you so much. And so um, each of you have kind of touched on um, that there's a certain process that goes into these applications. So, for example, someone who might see this, you know, two weeks out, they might not be able to apply in enough time to 
you know, um, adhere to some of these processes. I know uh, Marsha talked about some internal deadlines and um, there's some committees that you need to kind of, you know, go through. Would you be able to briefly touch on what are some of the key process points that a student or a faculty member might need to go through if they wanted to apply for one of these opportunities? Um, whoever would like to take that up, um, we'd love to just get some more insight on that. I guess to, to start, to, since I just last mentioned, but one thing is definitely visit, you know, your points of contact. Um, in our case, visit your study abroad office, your study abroad advisor, have a sit down with us. And so we can chat with you about your goals. What is it that you want out of a study abroad experience? And how is it that this form of funding uh, can benefit your program and your experience. Um, and from there, we sit down and look at what it is that the scholarship requires and see how we can directly answer those questions um, that that the selection panelists will easily see and identify as, oh, okay, um, this student is answering this question. They're answering how it ties into their academic career, their professional, professional career and things like that. Um, but so definitely a sit down with our office and just kind of tuning into exactly what that scholarship Thank requires. Thank you so much. Um, Marsha or Angela, um, were there any specific processes that you think are key for people to keep in mind? Um, I'll, I'll take it to you, Angela. Sure. So it's a little different for faculty applying for Fulbright because um, by the time a faculty member brings their application to me, they have most likely already located their host institution and have some collaborators in mind at that host institution. So when faculty are applying, they do have a very specific project in mind, um, usually a, a research project. I mean, there are different types of um, of Fulbrights for uh, the scholar side, but um, often it's a research project. And so they will already be pretty specific and, and kind of along into the process. Another thing that faculty need to do is they need to get their department chair or dean support um, because leaving for uh, a full year uh, or leaving for a semester or even taking off, you know, in the summer um, could interfere with classes that they, you know, have in their department calendar. And so they need to make sure that their administrators are supportive and um, will be able to cover those classes in some other way if they're um, not there. So um, then there usually will bring me a draft. It could be an early stage draft or it could be a more um, developed draft and we will read it and go through. Um, I'll offer suggestions. They will um, share their budget with me. And uh, so, so they have to present Fulbright with a budget of here's how much I'll need for travel and here's you know, what I would need for support while I'm there and those kinds of things. And so we'll, you know, hash over the details of the budget and um, make sure that it all makes sense and sounds reasonable um, and could be fundable. So there's a whole back and forth there um, and process of revision, as, as people have mentioned multiple times. Thank you so much. Marsh, is there anything that you wanted to add in, in terms of the internal deadlines that students should be thinking about? Well, that just depends on the, the, the program that you're working with um, and what, what they require. 
some of them, like I said, do require going through a campus committee. Uh, others don't. So, you know, it's hard to say that there's a typical process. Uh, some students have, they, they come in and they have already done a lot of research. They know what they want to do. Uh, and then it's a matter of, of getting it out of their heads and on paper, essentially. Um, other students uh, just come in on a whim. Uh, and so they're the process. You know, you have to start a lot earlier about what do you want from this program? You know, what are your goals? All of those kinds of things. So um, it, it's hard to say that there's anything typical, except the fact that there are deadlines and you have to meet them and you have to be willing to revise and you have to be willing to let other people read and critique. Thank you so much. This is really insightful. So now that we've heard from recipients, we've heard a lot of um, advice from our advisors. I'm curious from the advisors, how many successful awardees have you advised or how many successful? I know that might be a huge number if you don't know it all off the top of your head, but just around a ballpark figure, Jen, how many students um, do you know from the University of South Alabama approximately that have received the Gilman? Yeah, so I did a little bit of digging. <laughs> and since 2012, we've had at least 20 recipients. And those recipients, they um, received anywhere between 2500 to the full $8,000 that Rebecca mentioned earlier that includes a critical need language award. Um, and on top of those uh, 20 plus, we've also had a couple of alternates um, to potentially receive the funding as well. So fantastic okay. number. That's a nationally competitive scholarship. It's fantastic. That's pretty amazing. That was that is amazing. <laughs> that's 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 a lot of money. Yeah. That's all about all the money, about the right money. there. <laughs> um, how about um, how about you, Marsha? Do you have an idea? Of, I mean, you you advise for such a range. Um, can you give us a ballpark figure? We've had a couple of people win Fulbrights. We've had a student win a Udall. Um, we've had recently a student who won a, a TAPIF. It's a teaching assistant in France. It's a, it's a program similar to Fulbright, but it's sponsored by the French government. Um, but in the sciences, in the STEM fields, uh, there have been a lot of winners. Um, there's, I think, just last year, um, we had four people who won wow. gold waters, and a lot of students who get REUs, um, undergraduate research experience um, program. Um, so the STEM fields, they've really got a lot of of students. You are getting these awards. That's amazing. Go Jags. Yes, go Jags. <laughs> How about you on the faculty side? Um, what what have we, what kind of scholarships or things have you seen, uh, Angela? Well, speaking specifically um, to the Fulbright program that I know of, uh, we have had two awards uh, from the faculty in the time that I have been at the Office of Research and Economic Development. So I can't speak historically um, about South, but um, Dr. David Miola in the Department of History 
won a Fulbright Flex Award. And um, Dr. Armano Afuzo in the Department of Economics won a Fulbright Specialist Award. And so we are thrilled to have those awardees on campus and, um, you know, really want to encourage people to make more applications because um, sometimes people just, you know, may not think this is something that I can do. And so part of what we want to do is take the initiative to to publicize this and say, hey, this is an opportunity that you too can go after. That's amazing. And that's actually uh, takes us into a good segue about advice that we would want to give for anyone considering these types of awards. Right. So um, back to Bree and Rebecca, in your experience with applying and getting ready for the program, what was the most stressful part, um, especially focusing on the application process? Bree, I know you talked a lot about mm-hmm. revision, but um, if you could just go into maybe a time you remember being most stressed and what it was that was causing that in the process. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that applying for a nationally competitive scholarship is somewhat stressful in itself. It seems very overwhelming. And I think there's definitely um, imposter syndrome that creeps up and says, why am I so special? You know, what, what makes it so I'm going to get this award over someone else? And it, it, it can be hard to, to talk that voice down. Um, but I think I, I, maybe I'm speaking for Rebecca, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't have a magic recipe uh, on, you know, what, what makes a winning application. I think it's just you have to kind of take a chance and put in a lot of time and energy into something and see if it happens. Um, I, I would say, you know, don't, don't rule yourself out of an opportunity because you think that you might not be qualified. Let someone else tell you you're not qualified. <laughs> you know, don't tell yourself you're not qualified. Believe in you and then see what happens. Um, and I would say if you are a student or a faculty scholar, whatever it is at any stage of your life or your career, I, I think this is a very common experience for everyone. And so, yeah, I guess I would just say the the stressful part is believing in yourself. So if you give yourself the freedom to believe in yourself, you can alleviate some of that stress. Oh, Rebecca, is there anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, I definitely agree with Bree. I think it's important that we don't reject ourselves and we actually give ourselves the chance to win this. Um, but also I'd say the most stressful thing for me was time because I'd been really, really busy that semester and the semester beforehand. So I had actually forgotten the due date for the Gilman. So I started working on it just a few days before it was due. And that was very stressful. And Bree and Jan were great because they were with me over the weekends, like sending me back feedback on my essays and everything. And it all ended up working out, but definitely keep the due date in mind and work on it ahead of time and really just put time and patience and lots of love into your application so that you have the best chance you can to win it. Thank you so much. That is great advice from um, two successful recipients of nationally competitive scholarships. (laughs) So even if they, you know, are... I, I think one of the key messages here is like, you know, don't psych yourself out. Right. Because, 
you won't ever know if you can do it unless you actually try. Right. Exactly. And then I like how Rebecca mentioned love. I like that too. That was so sweet. You have to put love into the application because what you put out there, they'll they'll feel that and it'll come back to you. Exactly. So from our advisors, is there any advice that, you know, if you, you've given us so much advice and so much to think about, but if you wanted to sum up in a quick word or two, is there any advice that you would want to give to the um, University of South Alabama community about nationally competitive scholarships? Um, I'll start. I don't think I started with Angela. I'll start with you. Sure. So this is going to echo a lot of things that people have already said, but my three points would be give yourself enough time to develop a really good application, to get feedback from others, so other awardees of these types of scholarships if possible, peers that you respect, faculty advisors, um, but even like Bree said, family, friends, just anyone that you can get, get feedback. It's very valuable. And um, as someone who spent a long time doing uh, <laughs> proposal development and writing sort of professionally, um, a piece of advice that I always like to pass along is don't treat your writing like crystal, something that could shatter and break if someone gives you feedback that is critical or, um, you know, helpful. Instead, consider it like clay. So something that is going to be malleable and that you're always going to be adding to and taking away from before you have that finished product. I really like that metaphor. I do too. I'm not sure we don't have to steal that. <laughs> I think so. Marsha, how about you? Well, I mean, in addition to everything that Angela just mentioned, do some research on the program that you're interested in. Know about the program. Know a little bit about the history because that will help you develop a, a context for the, the, the essays, the parts that you have to write for it. Um, and most of all, as I think everyone has said, uh, just do. <laughs> you can't win if you don't apply. So do. Just be Nike about it. Can we say that? Yeah, I think so. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> Jan, what about you? Exactly the same. I think we focus so much on, am I going to get this or am I not going to get this? How are you going to get it if you don't do it, if you don't complete the application? So focus on completion, most definitely. Get started on it. Do it. Particularly with the Gilman, they focus on really what is it what's unique about you as an applicant that uh, makes you different and eligible? Why should they give you this funding to support your program? Make sure you tie in the benefits of this experience with your academics, your professional goals, and how is this going to affect you personally? So if you three, if you hit those points, you know you you got you got a very very good chance. But but absolutely, um, every what everybody said kind of just sums up. Uh, very great points on, on these kinds of uh, experiences. And if I could follow up on what Jan just said, um, the process of introspection is going to be valuable, even if you don't get the award, um, because it's just, uh, it's a really good process to go through and you can learn things about yourself that you didn't know and give you a new perspective on stuff. That's true. And it's not, um, if you don't win, it's not a reflection on you. It's not personal. There are a lot of applicants and take what you can learn from the process. 
And if you don't get it the first time, you can apply again later. It's not a one-time thing. You can't just not get it the first time and then give up. Absolutely. I see Brie really shaking her head. Do you want to chime in on that on this point, Brie? <laughs> well, I yeah. said it already. That's me. You know, um, it, it was. And I, I think I agree so much with everything that everyone is saying. Um, I would also just add like it, it, all these awards aren't a one size fits all. You know, like it, you don't need a 4.0 to apply. If I'm talking to my students, you know, like that's not the most important thing always when it comes to these scholarships. Um, you don't have to have a language background. Um, you don't have to fit into a neat box. I mean, I think about my cohort that's here with me in Romania right now, and I'm I'm primarily in the classroom and then doing research behind a computer, but I have colleagues who are studying Transylvanian folk music and they get in a car and drive around Transylvania and go spend time with musicians, interviewing them and recording their music. I have a colleague who's a historian who spends days in the archives. I have a colleague who is studying biological anthropology and she examines bones in different labs around Bucharest. So, I mean, this is just one cohort of four Right. So whoever you are, whatever special about you, whatever interests you, there is an award for you. It's just a matter of figuring out which award it is and what you want to do with your time. So, yeah, it's, it's a call to action. If, if you're interested, apply. Um, it's It's been an absolutely amazing experience. And anyone who would want to have an experience like this, I would say, you know, don't don't hesitate. Get out there, start writing, start talking to people and apply. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. Nick, what about you? Definitely. I thank you all so much. You all brought very valuable wisdom. Um, we are very appreciative and I think there's a lot to reflect on here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on our, our all about the money uh Spilling the tea on travel, study abroad one-on-one, and looking at scholarships and actually competitive scholarships. And I, I really do hope that this inspires a lot of people to just go for it and just do it. Definitely. Thank you guys so Thank much. Thank you guys. That was a really great interview. I'm very, very thankful that they all took the time to come talk to us. I think that there's a lot of valuable wisdom that we can learn from that. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me was what Marcia said about um, if you don't get the scholarship that does not define you. And I think that that's great advice, not just for these nationally competitive scholarships, but for any type of scholarships that our students might be applying for. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And another uh, reoccurring theme, if you want to say, um, was when Brie was mentioning, like, if you don't get it the first time, you know, you can apply again. Right. And, you know, I think even Rebecca echoed that. Um, and then... Um, Additionally, when they're saying, like, just do it, we have an experience um, within our office, in the Office of International Education, where um, on the scholar side, Brie was talking about how Fulbright has, you know, a U.S. scholar portion, and there's a student portion, where the University of South Alabama applied for a U.S., um, for a Fulbright scholar in residence, where we'll host a scholar um, who is actually going to be working with a lot of the people that were on the call today, and that was a process that a lot of people were nervous about, but we just right. did it, and we were recommended, you know, for funding for that scholarship, and it did take about... 
a year's worth of planning to right. get to that point. So right. planning, planning, planning is key. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I know a lot of us might be thinking, okay, well, what's next? And so there's definitely a call to action. After a conversation like this, we can't leave you without something to do next. And so the Office of International Education and Study Abroad, we really want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at USA underscore study underscore abroad. Follow us on Instagram at USA underscore study underscore abroad. We are currently starting the um, spring 22 semester. We're in January right now, if you're listening to this live. And we're going to be having a number of workshops coming up for the Gilman in particular, especially if that was a scholarship that was of interest to you. Um, so follow us on Instagram so that you can keep a lookout for those upcoming workshops. And if you're listening to this at a future date, um, definitely check in with our office. We do host these um, workshops each semester. So even if you're listening to this in the fall, um, definitely check with us because um, we would love to talk to you guys more about this. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Spring the Tea on Travel, all about the money until our next monthly brew.